my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that we may attend to these words, that we may meditate upon them and that you would give us understanding and wisdom, but also the application of how we might walk in the light of this truth, in the light of these glorious words. We ask that you would help us and strengthen us, that you would train us up in the way that we ought to go, that you would renew us in the spirit of our minds, and that you would cause our inner man to rejoice and to direct and govern the outer man, that we might glorify you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I did not uh, really think of this passage in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel, as really tying into the beginning of a new year, and yet here we are. Some of you are, have made your resolutions or begun your resolutions. Uh, I've already blown one of mine by taking an extra piece of cake at my grandson's birthday party. And we've already encouraged you to, if you have not already begun, to read and meditate on the scriptures this year through a read through the Bible plan or one of, one of your own. I can remember as a young believer, one of the first Christian messages that I ever heard, the speaker encouraged everyone uh, to follow his example, reading the Old Testament through at least once and the New Testament several times every year that you are a believer until the Lord returns. And some of us take that to heart and we try to read and to meditate. But some of us, I think, um, are as... J.I. Packer wrote um, in his book on keeping in step with the Spirit that he says, quote, some Christians seem to prefer the epistles to the Gospels and talk of graduating from the Gospels to the epistles as if this were a mark of growing up spiritually. But he says we should think rather of the theology of the epistles as preparing us to understand better the discipleship relation with Christ that is set forth in the Gospels. In other words, and I think it is true historically if, as people have looked at when the different books of the New Testament were written, that the epistles actually were dated first, before the Gospels. And I think Packer is right the theology, the doctrine that comes through in the epistles prepares us really to better understand what came before that discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel is related to the other gospels and I think it is true what several um, have written that we cannot fully understand one gospel without referring to the other three Gospels, what are called the synoptic Gospels, or the seeing of the Gospels, as the word 
synoptic means, seeing together the things of Jesus Christ. And yet Mark is, I think, unique because there's nothing in Mark that explains why he wrote the book like Luke does. Luke has quite a number of verses that says, this is what I saw people trying to do to set forth the things that we've heard and seen and felt, and I am going to try to explain that to my good friend. But Mark does not tell us that, nor does he even tell us who he is. Um, and again, I think there is still some conjecture on who this Mark, uh, who wrote this gospel, actually is. But again, Mark is different from the other gospels in there. There is no genealogy like there is the extensive genealogy in Matthew. There's nothing about Jesus' parents. There, there is no heavenly angels singing in the book of Mark uh, to begin. There are no magi appearing. There's no record of Mark of the birth of Christ or even his earthly life. In fact, he has very few sayings and quotations. Again, unlike Matthew, who has long discourses on the things that Jesus said, Mark focuses on the works of Christ, his activity. More words, or more works, less words, I think would be a phrase in Mark. He dwells on the facts of Jesus what he did, and in addition to that, not only what he did, but how people reacted to Jesus, what the popular thought was about Jesus. And I think that's where this kind of connected to me with the things that we were studying in Sunday school. If I am to keep in step with the Spirit and the Spirit's message, His purpose, His reason for coming to us is to manifest to us the Lord Jesus Christ, to focus us on Him, to ground us in Him, to get us to see Him, then our study, our time that we would spend meditating and thinking and reading in the gospel would be very fruitful to us to open our eyes to see. Mark has been uh, labeled as a book that is very terse, terse or pithy. Um, some say he has a very condensed style and you will come to understand that one of Mark's favorite words is immediately. Um, he, he begins many paragraphs with the word immediately, but we get historical details in Mark that we don't get in the other Gospels. So meditation on the Gospels, our focus on Christ and understanding the nature of being Christ's disciple, I think is what Mark is all about. And this is part of what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, because he shows us Christ. We see him as the true God-man. We see him as one who speaks with authority. Not as a man speaks, but as one who speaks with ultimate authority. We see him also as the suffering servant. We also see him as the one who is seated at the right hand of God. This is strength for the inner man. This is strength for the soul of man 
and woman and child who follows Jesus and wants to worship him. And so Mark begins his gospel, and it, I type it in my computer, and it doesn't like it. It doesn't accept it because there is no verb in, in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's a title. It, it, it's a, it's a, something that sets it apart. It, it is the beginning, and what a beginning it is. There, there is a ton packed in this verse. And I've included the first part of verse 2. If you had my outline, it would be the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is it beginning and what is the gospel? That it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we could preach for 52 weeks on that phrase alone. And then he says... What is the anchor for him? Where does it come from as it is written? See, Mark is not making this up. Mark is not speaking of just a man that he met in a village and, whoa, here's a really good teacher. Here's a man who really sincerely follows God. Here's a man who really seems like he's got his act together. He is speaking of the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, maybe Mark's style is not as majestic and, and as poetic as John. You remember how John's gospel begins and how it echoes Genesis 1 in John 1. In the beginning was the word. And then later in that prologue, he says, We beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, here's Mark at his pithy best. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He speaks to us as, you, you got to get this. You got to get this phrase. The other gospel writers saw what Mark sees in a very short phrase. Luke says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. See, there, there's a beginning. There is a new beginning here. It's, it's not doing away with the law and the prophets. It's not saying they're, they're, they're gone. He's saying this was what was promised. This was what was preached until John. And then the gospel of the kingdom is preached. And where does it come from? Where does he pick up from? Where do the gospel writers connect to? Well, 400 years earlier, to Malachi. In Malachi 3, we read what God is going to do. He, he says, there is going to be a new beginning. I am going to send my messenger. And later on, he says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. There will be a beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be a time when he will come. And you will see him, God incarnate, the Son of God, the God-man, will come. And it is that gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't understand quite how we got from the, the word evangelion, the Greek, to the gospel. Except they, they both mean something that is good, that's the first part of euangelion, the you is well or good, and the second part, and gelion is message. So it is a good message or good news. And apparently we get that somehow from the Latin, 
and the Latinists in here would have to help me with it, but the first word is bon, okay, in French, it's bon, it's good. It's a good message, it's a good word. And the gospel somehow, the, the go and the spells, the go is good, uh, shortened for good, and spell is for story. A good story or good news or a good message. In the Geneva Testament of the 1500s, it uses the word good tidings and defines the gospel as the story which containeth the joyful message of the coming of the Son of God. This is the message that, that people perceive. This is the good news that was to come. And that's how we saw it in, in the passage that I read in Isaiah chapter 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think most people's feet are beautiful. What, what is the picture there? The watchmen are on the wall, and Isaiah goes back to that picture. It, you know, who rejoices first? Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. The idea is that the watchmen are watching the messenger come, and they can tell by the way his feet are moving, whether it's good news or bad. If he has what some people call their survival's, shuff, survival's shuffle, where he's plodding, where he's obviously downtrodden, where he's obviously has leaden feet because of the defeat of battle, they will know it's bad news. But what does Isaiah say the watchmen see? Behold, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. They could tell, there's Usain Bolt. <laughs> Look at those piston legs going. Look at him make tracks. It is good news. And the watchman, even before the, the messenger has gotten to the gates, they are announcing good news. That's the gospel of our God. That's how the Old Testament pictures it, the good news the good news that the messenger would also bring that the Lord will come suddenly to his temple. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1. He says, Those things promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. See, he links it back. There was good news then. There, there was this news that is going to, was going to be delivered. And Paul's testimony is that that salvation has been revealed. The things that were hoped for, and indeed things that God expected them to hope for and long for and watch for, had come to pass. He declares them to be fulfilled and accomplished in Jesus Christ. He says in Romans 3, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's distinct from those promises. It, it is alongside those promises, but distinct from them. It includes things in our scriptures that we read in Matthew where he says, repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God. See, it includes that repentance. In John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's part of the good news. 
But it also, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, part of the good news is that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself and he begs them, be reconciled to God. That is also part of the good news. And what was at the beginning of Paul's confession that he titled, Great is the Mystery of Godliness, which I think could be another title for the gospel? The very first thing, he was revealed in the flesh. The Son of God was revealed in the flesh as the beginning of the gospel. Christ is the full and complete exhibition of the promises of God. Paul writes again, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, was preached among you by us, was not yes and no, but in him is yes. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Wherefore also by him is our amen to the glory of God through us. The beginning of the gospel of God is, the son, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the yes. He is the amen that we say. And the Jews got it. The Jews got this assertion. They understood the phrase. I think sometimes we read it, we're so familiar with it, we, we just kind of go on. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we, we kind of just lack a days of, yeah, okay. But the Jews got it right away. In John chapter 5, Jesus is, is looking at this crowd that is hostile toward him. And he says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And then John writes, for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Mark's saying is a fit beginning of the gospel. Jesus is the satisfaction of the wrath of God the Father toward evil men. His death is not the death of a mere man, but he is Christ who is overall God blessed forever. He who suffered and died for the sin of man is not just a good man. He is not just a good teacher. He's not just a sincere worshiper of God, but the Son of God, now incarnate, the God-man. Stand firm in this. This is the bedrock of our faith, is it not? <clears throat> Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this is an anchor for our soul. This is that in which we can put our hooks and we can hold on to, cling to this. Or I think it would be rather better to say, cling to him. He saves to the uttermost. He delivers his own from the wrath to come. He justifies the repentant sinner. He alone is our advocate before Almighty God. Cling to Him. Come to Him. Worship Him. Paul prays. You know Paul was a prayer. In Ephesians 3, we have part of this beautiful prayer for believers. 
He prays that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the Jesus Christ that Mark proclaims. This is the Son of God. And Paul says, yes, I pray and you ought to pray that according to the riches of God's glory in Christ, you would be strengthened with power in the inner man that you may know him, that you may walk with him, that you may glorify him. And this may be way out of context, but I think it is always appropriate when we get to Mark chapter 6, if we ever get that far before he comes again. It's the story of Jesus walking on the water. The, the disciples are in the boat and they're having a hard time and Jesus is walking on the water and intends to pass by them and they think they see a ghost. And they're terribly afraid and he can tell that they're afraid and he simply says to them, take courage, it is I. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am one of those who gets terribly afraid at the oddest times and at the strangest times and at appropriate times. And there are times when I forget the words of Christ and I need to hear these echoed. I can, I can talk about theology. I'm not as good a theologian as either Chuck or David. I can talk a lot about what other people say. But one of the things I know, the comfort of this phrase is take courage, it is I. And I believe that is what Mark would direct us to. It is Christ, Jesus, the Son of God. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in him. Cling to him. And again, where does Mark get these things? He simply says, as it is written. With God, there is nothing unforeseen. There's, there's nothing contrived here. Mark is not embellishing things as, as people would. He's looking at it and saying, this is what is written. This is what is recorded. God doesn't leave anything to chance here. Nothing is out of his sight. It goes all the way back to Genesis. And as we progress through the scriptures, it becomes more and more clear, sometimes in some books clearer than in others. The Lord God said to the servant, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The beginning of the gospel, really, <laughs> the good news takes us all the way back and brings us all the way forward. The promise is given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The, it was preached by the prophets. It was proclaimed among men that one day a deliverer, one day a redeemer, the man who would be the anointed one would come one day suddenly to his temple. And every detail has all been worked out as it is written. We read of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and the promises that were, that were given to them that they puzzled over and tried to figure out. We read Moses, how the writer to the Hebrews tells us that, yeah, he endured a lot of things, suffering for his people, 
Why? Because he was looking to the reward. And we read of David, Elijah, Elisha. Read of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the things that they suffered to preach and proclaim the coming of Christ. We read of Daniel and the things that he endured all the way up to John the Baptist. But, but, we read the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask again that you would help us to study these things, to meditate on these things, to, to turn them over in our minds, to, to think of them, to read them again and study again, that we might see Jesus, that we might see him in all his glory and his majesty and his humanity, and we might understand how we ought to respond, how we ought to walk, how we ought to live. We ask that you would do these things. We ask that you would do it for the building up of your church, that she might be a precious and glorious bride to you. We ask in Christ's name, amen.